Welcome into the Off the Post podcast. I'm Nick DeLeon with my co-host Lucas Tashi. Today, we're going to be talking about the Champions League and the Europa League, recapping the events over the two match days that happened while we were gone. Then we're going to be going into some topics with the France Football Federation, how the Queen passing away in England impacted the Premier League schedule and the ramifications for it in the second half of the season. And then we get into our bets for the weekend. We hope you guys enjoy the show. Lucas, we have returned from the break. The Champions League is back. Premier League is not back, but it will be back this weekend. The Queen has passed away, causing a whole ruckus in the world of football. Uh, I mean, we'll get into it. But how does it feel to have the Champions League back? But more importantly, the best European competition in the entire world. Yeah, maybe in, in my opinion, the Europa not- League is the best. <laughs> have that back. Oh my God, I was I was thinking immediately as the Champions League, but I could totally see why you would think that. Uh, in my opinion, the Champions League is probably the best competition in the entire world, right? I know I know people love like the playoffs for the NFL and the NBA playoffs, but nothing kind of wraps my mind around it other than sports teams competing in the Champions League, the World Cup. Is obviously you know second to none, but to me, every single year the Champions League comes, and every single year I'm totally focused on it, trying to figure out uh, who's gonna win, who I should bet on, and just the games played, right? Because we've already had some big games over the past, you know, couple of match days here. Yeah, uh, huge games. Like this week was Barca versus Bayern. Last week Bayern versus Inter. Uh, I mean, we'll get into each of the games and recap everything because there was a lot that happened in this last week. So do you want to just get into it? Yeah, I'll go down match day one and I'll talk through it. And then uh, and I'll then go through. yeah, you'll do match day two and then we'll just give our takes over the course of the first two uh, two rounds. Right. So Dynamo Zagreb beating Chelsea one nothing. Dortmund beating. Should we stop here and just talk about this game? <laughs> Yes. Okay. Dude. All right. We, yeah, literally just stop, talk about this game because this had the biggest storyline over the last two weeks. So, first of all, our boy, our, our, the pod's favorite player, Mislav Orsic, scores again for Zagreb, beats Chelsea 1 nothing, and that results in Thomas Tuchel getting fired by Chelsea and kind of just like a mind numbing decision. Yeah. Uh, and then they end up appointing Graham Potter. They pay, I believe it's 16 million pounds for him yep. to, to sign on from Brighton to Chelsea. So he is the manager. Lucas, first of all, what's your take on Tuchel getting fired? And second, how do you feel about Potter's appointment to Chelsea? First of all, it was too soon for Tuchel to get fired, to get the sack, because they had already spent so much money and they haven't given Tuchel enough time. It was i believe it was september 10th that it happened that's 10 days after the transfer window ended it he didn't even start with fofana he only started fofana one game his main signing so i think that was way too soon but there was back back like uh door stuff like upper management with todd Bowley and tuchel not seeing eye to eye so uh, there was stuff behind the scenes that we didn't know 
that caused this to happen. But, man, I, I did not like the sacking this early on. I expected it in, like, November, December time, but way too soon now. As for the Grand Potter appointment, oh, finally he gets that well-deserved, like, opportunity at a huge club. I hate that it's Chelsea, but, dude, he hopefully he kills it for them. Like, he's a great manager. He's a great tactician. Like, really, really good appointment for them. And they chalked up a lot of dough to get him. So, really, really good for for them. Um, we'll see what happens, though, because now Chelsea want to get a director of football in instead of having Todd Bowley handle everything. And also, Todd Bowley is just going, like, knee-deep into trying to change the Premier League into and molding it into, like, an American sport like he wants an all-star game like I, I don't get it but he he's doing a lot and I just don't think he's gonna anything's gonna come about it yeah I think his most ridiculous take is probably saying that we should have uh you know in-house tournaments when they already have the FA Cup and the League Cup so yeah that's kind of the the most outrageous thing that I heard so far from him I have to agree with everything that you said Lucas I think that when they s- sacked him uh, there, there was only really one appointment that Chelsea fans were going to be okay with and satisfied with, and it was going to be Potter. There's no other manager that I saw that could have replaced him yeah. and, and, and for Chelsea fans to be happy with the appointment. So he was the only real choice for Chelsea. If they had gotten anyone else, it kind of would have been viewed as a step back. Now there's potential for them to still move forward. As far as the appointment goes as the manager, you know, the players that they have – kind of fits his system. I still don't think they're going to produce enough goals up front. So they should hopefully give him more than this season because I don't just see them finishing top four as of right now because they just can't score. Like, the Aubameyang does not suit the system that they're going to play. And Havertz can't score. Pulisic right now can't score. Mount isn't the same player he was last season or the season before. So I just feel like this team it has uh it has a lot of work to do to to get to the the team that you know Bully wants it to be. He's definitely not afraid to spend money. Uh, mm-hmm. but I still I still feel like they're gonna finish outside the top four this season because of personnel, not because of Potter. And I hope he doesn't get sacked because of it, because then that would be a really horrible decision compared Especially to because it's not his players that he signed. I agree with that. I agree with that. They they can play the back three like he does at Brighton, and yep. I feel like I feel like their their you know their back line, their back three for center backs, and then you know their wing backs are are really good, like great actually. But as far as the center of the pitch, you know, Conte hasn't been healthy, and then there's no there's no real scoring. Other the only player that I think that is of you know championship winning quality on their front line is really just Sterling, and that and that's yep. it. That's it to me. So it'll just be crazy to see uh, what they end up deciding to do moving forward. But you don't think they're going to finish top four either, do you? No, even from the start of the season, I didn't think they would finish top four. My top four was always going to be City, Liverpool, uh, Spurs, and Arsenal. So okay. that that doesn't change anything. No, I agree with that entirely. And also the one point I want to I wanna get to before we move on to the rest of the match days is just for, for Potter to make this move, I totally understand it because – if you look at the teams in the top six, those were the only teams that he would probably be willing to go to. I can't see him leaving for Aston Villa 
if Gerard got the sack. Yeah. And then and then also if you look at the teams, right? Arsenal with Arteta. It looks like Arteta is gonna stay for a while. Manchester United just appointed Ten Hag, right? So he's out the window. Pep and Man City, it seems like they're gonna they're gonna end up continuing their relationship even though his contract is up after this season. And then you have Klopp and, and Liverpool, you know, Tottenham and, and Conte would be really the only one uh, other than Chelsea that would have an opening if Conte was to decide to leave. But he's had such a successful start that I don't see that happening. And yeah. they've spent so much money too. So this was really kind of like the only opportunity he would have uh, other than waiting for another two, three years. And then at that point, is he even still considered good because he's still at Brighton? You don't know. So for him, I don't blame him for taking this opportunity. Uh, 100% for him, I definitely don't blame him. But we'll get into a team uh, in the Champions League that I think Tuchel could be really good for. Yeah. Um, All right. so, so let's let's finish off match day one. And then once this team comes up, once you mention them, I'm going to jump in and interrupt. You got it. Okay. So going through the match day's uh, one results, we have Zagreb beating Chelsea 1-0. Dortmund beat Copenhagen 3-0. Benefica beat Maccabee Haifa 2-0. Man City smashed Sevilla 4 nothing. RB Salzburg and Milan draw 1-1. Real Madrid, the boys, beat Celtic 3-0. Shakhtar Donetsk beats RB Leipzig as a shock result 4-1. PSG beats Juventus 2-1. Oh, there it is. That's the team right there. Tuchel is going to go to Juve. You think so? I think so. Allegri has, has started off so poorly this year. I think Tuchel fits in. Very, very well for Juve, given the players, the quality that they have, and the style of play they have. I think Tuchel at Juve would be really quality. And, I mean, we'll get into this in the second match day. But they also lost both games. They're literally in last place at the moment. So, I don't know. That That's my, my thought process at the moment with how Juve's been doing. And given that Tuchel's been sacked already. You know what? I tend to agree with you. I think he would be perfect for that team. And I think that their squad is definitely underachieving right now. So yep. I, I would love that appointment as well. Uh, I'm just going to go through the rest of them, right? Ajax beat Rangers 4 nothing. Sporting beat Eintracht Frankfurt 3 nothing. What a start for Sporting, honestly. Six points from two match days. Bayern beating Inter 2 nothing. Barcelona beat Victoria Pizan. 5-1, Napoli smash Liverpool 4-1. No one saw that coming at all to me, at least. Atletico Madrid shithouses its way to, to beating Porto 2-1. Classic Atletico Madrid. Tottenham beat Marseille 2-0. And Bruges also with a phenomenal start, beating Leverkusen 1-0. Honestly, like this match day, the real takeaways is Napoli beating Liverpool 4-1. Really shows that Napoli's def- uh, Liverpool's defense is abysmal. They are really like showing the flaws that Liverpool has. Trent Alexander-Arnold can't defend. Joe Gomez can't defend. Uh, Virgil Van Dijk has been atrocious. But also, Napoli, given ha- how they sold so many players this summer, they've replaced them very quickly. Yeah, like they brought in some stud quality talent into that midfield and into the attacking line uh, that really have performed well. Out, I would say outperformed uh, their expectations. 
and a huge result for them with a 4-1 victory against Liverpool. Other than that, results don't really surprise me. Uh, City, Real Madrid, PSG did what they we expected them to do. Uh, yeah, match day one was pretty pretty straightforward. Yeah, I agree with you. There's some shock results, uh, some upsets. But then when you get to match day two, then it gets a little bit more freaky for me. So do you want to go and read Yeah, I'll run through them. So starting off with Inter beating Victoria Benzin uh, 2-0. Sporting beating Tottenham 2-0 with two goals in the 90th minute. Liverpool with a 2-1 victory over Ajax. Bayern with a 2-0 victory over Barcelona. Barcelona's daddies still have their number. Uh, Club Bruges winning 4-0 against Porto. Another surprise. Eintracht Frankfurt with a 1-0 victory over Marseille. Leverkusen with a 2-0 shock over Atleti. Uh, Shakhtar Donetsk and Celtic drew 1-1. AC Milan 3-1 victory over Dinamo Zagreb. Uh, Napoli with another convincing 3-0 victory uh, against Rangers. Chelsea drawing against RB Salzburg in Graham Potter's first game with a skin fade shape-up NSU, and it's not scruffy Graham Potter. Who is this man? Uh, Real Madrid with a 2-0 victory over RB Leipzig got the job done there. Sevilla and Copenhagen draw 0-0. Benfica with a 2-1 victory over Juve. As I alluded to earlier, Juve are in shambles, and they were at home against Benfica. Very surprising. Uh, PSG and Man City both get the job done after both teams were down 1-0 to begin the game. So uh, 3-1 victory for PSG over Maccabee, and Man City being beating Dortmund 2-1. Nick. My, I'm out of breath. But <laughs> what are your thoughts on match day two? Uh, I mean, listen, there's so many shocking things to talk about. If you if you look at the results and you look at the tables, right? Who would have thought Bruges would be topping the group uh, with six possible points in Group B over Leverkusen, Atletico Madrid, and Porto? We picked them to finish last, Lucas, and they're in first place right now with a three-point lead. I mean, they still play Atletico Madrid and back-to-back on match days three and four, but... I think that they'll get points out of it, at least one. So then they're looking at seven points, right, possibly uh, with another two games. They're easier two games for teams that they already beat in the last two match days. I mean, Bayern beating Barcelona. I sent you this stat. Bayern and Barcelona have met 14 times in the Champions League. Bayern have won 10 of them, drawn two, and only lost two, and scored 32 goals in these games. So... Byron is just the boogeyman for Barcelona, and, and, and especially this team who, who looked really improved in this game. Uh, I was I was blown away that they still couldn't put away their chances and beat Byron, and I'm excited to see what happens when they play them again at the Camp Nou. The other thing I want to talk about just lightly, real quick, is, I mean, Group H, right? PSG and Benfica topping the table at six points, and then Juventus having zero from two match days. They have to beat Maccabee Haifa. If they they don't beat them both times, then what's going to happen is Allegri is for sure going to get the sack, in my opinion. You have to beat this team. Even if you draw, I still think that's a fireable offense, in my honest opinion. So uh, they could possibly turn it around. 
and be tied with Benfica on six points, you know, or PSG on six points if they end up losing, if one of them ends up losing both fixtures. However, I do think that Benfica will get at least one point from PSG. Uh, I think PSG has basically locked themselves in as the team that finishes top of this group. And, uh, I mean... Holland is just still incredible, isn't it? That's that's my main takeaway from from this match day. It doesn't matter, uh, it doesn't matter who they play, how many touches he gets, he always finds a way to score, and he's got to be the front runner for the Ballon d'Or this season already. Yeah, he's been absolutely fantastic. I, I saw something that he said his goal is to have five touches in a game, and he wants five goals, like not even any kickoffs, nothing. He just wants five touches and five goals. Um, I agree with you when it comes to Juve, for sure. Uh, RB Leipzig, very underwhelming so far in Group F. Right now with zero points within minus five goal differential uh, due to the loss against Shakhtar Donetsk. We thought they would easily finish in second place, but that does not seem to be the case. However, there's still four games to play, and they can get two uh, victories over Donetsk and uh, Celtic. And they do face Celtic twice, I believe. So that's something to watch out for. Chelsea. Oh my gosh. We thought Dinamo Zagreb would literally finish in last place. They're literally in first, uh, in second behind Milan. So, uh, Chelsea still have a chance at, right now they're in last place, but they still have a chance at topping the group because they still, they face Milan next week. Or sorry, after the, uh, I'm not sure when the international break is, maybe the week after. Uh, but they face Milan still, and they still have to face Dinamo Zagreb and Salzburg again. If they get three uh, victories, if they get nine points out of the possible 15, I think they should be fine. No, I think because... Or, three, sorry. No, I agree with you. I think because three points separates first and fourth in that group, I think, and it, they'll play Zagreb and Salzburg again, I think they'll end up getting points from Milan. Uh, but if they lose one of those games and Milan's sitting at seven and, and Chelsea still has one point, then they're in, they're in real danger right there. So I think this first game they have to get. There's no doubt in my mind. I think if they lose it, then th- that puts a lot of pressure on them. But they should. They, they have the quality in the squad to, to be able to win that. So we'll see what ends up happening there. I think, I don't know, who, who do you think, do you think – Liverpool, or do you think any team right now is threatening to not qualify for the round of 16 other than Chelsea? Is there any other big team that kind of... Juventus as well, I guess, right? But they Inter, but Inter also has Bayern and Barcelona in that group. Yeah, yeah, I would say the main one is Chelsea. If we consider RB Leipzig as one of the top teams, then them. Other than that... Uh, it's pretty pretty straightforward. Sevilla being in fourth place at the moment is a shock. Uh, however, I expect them to get three points against Copenhagen and pick the, pick up the momentum there. Uh, yeah, yeah uh, everything else pretty much smooth sailing. It's mainly like which teams are going to go into the Europa League. Like Inter dropping into the Europa League would be wild. Uh, I expect Atleti to bounce back. Yes, they had that loss against Leverkusen, but they're going to get the three points uh, in some way, some yeah. capacity. Uh, they're going to finish at least first or second. 
So, yeah, other than, like, the main two teams, Chelsea and Juve, I, I think everything else is pretty straightforward. Yeah, I agree with that. I think RB Leipzig, when they play Chelsea uh, – not Chelsea, sorry, Celtic in the next two match days, I think that's going to determine whether or not they make it to Europa or not because I don't feel like, you know, having – oh, actually, no, they – yeah. I think having dropped points against, you know, Shakhtar like they did – I think it's going to be problematic for them because they have to get these two games from Celtic. And if they don't, then Shakhtar plays them on the back-to-back and then that could be the decider for who goes through. So uh, they're the only team I'm really looking at. Sevilla, I think, will go through and uh, go to Europa League where they thrive. And then I think we'll just go from there. But I feel like this is a good segue to talk about the Europa League, right? So, So... I don't really want to go. I don't want to take up too much time with the Europa League, though, because a lot of the Europa League is waiting for the Champions League third place teams to bounce out. And it's like the group stages. You know what I mean? I agree with that. Let's not read through the results. Yeah. Let's just talk about the the standings in the table. Perfect. If there's any teams that kind of uh, have impressed you so far with their performance. So I'll go first. I really have been impressed with Real Sociedad and Real Betis. They get six points from their first two match days. Sociedad especially, they beat Manchester United at Old Trafford from what I recall. And this ends up being their first win against an English side uh, in in their history, right? So I think that's a huge result for them. Did you watch the game? Did I watch the game? Yeah, I did. They, they, the penalty was not deserving. Okay, all right. All right. Uh, and yeah, and Manchester United did dominate that game, but the result is whatever the result is. You know what I mean? So, in my opinion, uh, I feel like they've gone to a great start because they still get six points from that. And Manchester United obviously will finish second in this group, or maybe they'll finish first if they win at La Real, right? I think they're gonna finish, end up finishing first. That was just a fluky game. Uh, and we started Lindelof and Maguire because we wanted to rotate some players. But, yeah, we're not going to start Maguire ever again. I, I mean, I don't blame you, honestly. <laughs> I think the other team I want to give a shout to is SC Freiburg. Uh, they have a relatively easy group, right? But they have six points from their two games. Not really any criticism for, for anything that they've done and how they played so far. They play Kaurbag on the way back on back-to-back fixtures, I think they'll end up likely finishing with, you know, a perfect set of six, of 18, to be honest. Like, I, just, I see no one really threatening them. Uh, they're very clear for me to be, to be top of the group. Yeah. Um, Roma, currently in third place, but fully expect them to bounce back. That It was just a fluky game against Lud- Ludogorets. Um, they, <laughs> Roma still have to face Betis, so that's going to be a tough challenge for them. But they'll get six points against Ludogorets uh, in the second match day, second uh, turnaround. Arsenal and PSV, we only have one game to base off of at the moment because of the Queen passing away. Uh, So we'll look out for that. But Arsenal, they didn't really look that convincing against FC Zurich. But it was their second squad. We'll see what actually happens in the following match days. But I think Arsenal and PSV will still finish as one and two in that group. I actually think that 
Arsenal will will uh, top the group, but I think uh, Glint will finish second. I think that. Yeah. Yeah, their their home field. They haven't lost a game in Europe at home since uh, not even last season. I don't think they lost a game, and it's because of how cold and how far north they are. It's like a serious home field advantage for them. So, uh, I personally would look to to do a double chance with Glint at home. Any chance I can get in the Europa League fixtures, um, but they they I mean they beat Roma last year at home. I think twice, right? Mm-hmm. They, they played them in the group stages, they beat them in the group stages, and then they beat them again at home uh, in the knockouts. So I, I think they'll, they'll likely finish second just because of their home field. But it really depends on how they play Arsenal and PSV, right? So so we'll end up seeing uh, what happens. I think they drew with PSV actually already at home. So Good. yeah, and they beat Zurich just now. They'll probably beat Zurich again. And you know, it's really just going to come down to those two return fixtures for them. But they get Arsenal at home, and if they get points from there, they'll luckily go through, in my opinion. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we'll see. Honestly, we'll see. Um, other than that, is there any team that really caught your eye? No. <laughs> no team. No other teams that I wanted to discuss. I feel like Lazio losing was was very ups, uh, very shock result against uh, Midtjylland, mm-hmm. so that's something to keep an eye on if they make it through. But other than that, I don't have anything really else that I wanted to discuss here. I do think this is a good segue to talk about the Premier League and what happened with the Queen, especially with Arsenal having to postpone their game against PSV because they couldn't get the correct amount of security required for these stadiums. Oh. So, I mean, it's no, it's no secret, right? The Queen passed away in the middle of the week, and the Kingdom of England uh, decided to postpone all, you know, activities uh, that were non-working related. So football games, shows, concerts, everything like that was canceled or postponed over the course of this past weekend. Then they ended up— May I interrupt? Go ahead. Uh, rugby matches were not postponed. Fair enough. And this is wild. Like what? Cricket as well. You're right. It was a recommendation. So the Premier League decided to cancel these games and decided to move them into the second half of the calendar year. And what ended up happening is because they resulted in these postponements, teams missed out on playing their home fixtures in the Europa League, like Arsenal, as an example. And... What that means is they're going to have some Premier League games going on this weekend, but there are three that will not go on. And essentially, this kind of puts the schedule in a huge disarray. So, Lucas, I'm just going to say real quick, I think it was ridiculous that they ended up postponing these games. The Queen, with all due respect, was 96 years old. This wasn't a shock to anybody. No one was surprised. She served for 70-plus years. I think it would have been way better for them to do what they did similar to midweek in Europa where the games were going on on Thursday, where they just held a moment of silence or clapped in the 72nd minute as an example to show you know, support for her reign, something like that. But to reschedule these games, I think, is disappointing because fans planned for these games. People flew out for these games. People need money when they work as security for these games or or watch the games on the pitch or, or anything, you know, this 
will end up costing England a lot of money, uh, approximately $6.2 billion for all the things that they did for for her passing. And uh, with all due respect, I think it was a waste. I 1,000% agree. It's a ridiculous decision from the Premier League when it comes to a footballing perspective, when it comes to taking care of your fans, everything. It's just ridiculous decision all around. One thing, in addition to what you had mentioned, to keep in mind is fans come from all over the world. Fans are so excited to see a Premier League game for the first time, and then, boom, it's canceled. Like, what are you supposed to do with that? Absolutely ridiculous decision from them. But it's what's even more ridiculous is the fact that it's a World Cup year. There's international break that has to be played in October. The World Cup is already taken apart, taken away from November 12th, I want to say, to after Christmas. That's taking players away. When are they going to play these fixtured games? Are they going to put extend the league two weeks? Are they going to... I've already seen that Arsenal have a rescheduled game in October, I want to say 20th, for a Thursday night game. Yeah. That means the Europa League game that they were supposed to play not going to be played anymore. Well, well, the one this weekend is moved to that week they were supposed to play Man City, and the game with Man City midweek is postponed in October. So they're having the group stage game played later, right before the group stage is over, and they decided to move Manchester City because they were originally scheduled for Wednesday, right, to to a later date. So that's going to be another midweek fixture that they have to play. It's absolutely ridiculous, man. Like, God rest her soul, but the Queen would have wanted, like, games to go on. No, I agree with that. I agree with that. And I think think that there are a lot of people – whose lives were impacted negatively by doing this. You know, yeah. they, the, the amount of money that those, uh, you know, that the monarchs within England and the, the royal family makes, like, like 10000 for them, 20000 is nothing for them. But for us, it's, it's everything, right? Yeah. For, for people who spend thousands of dollars to go fly out to see a game in England, and to not be able to to do that, then that's just that's just something that negatively impacts their families because they could have used that money for something else. Instead, they chose to have a good time, and they were kind of robbed of it, right? For something that was totally out of control. So, I feel like, you know, I feel for them, and I, I like I said, we're not trying to be disrespectful here, but there are more lives that are that were impacted negatively by her. You know, by by the traditions of the royal family, then there were her uh, people that were disappointed for her for getting passed. Right when she passed, it was just as if uh, someone who was a, you know, a fiction, a person that was not in our lives had passed away. From our perspective, right? We don't have that connection in England like other people may do. Yeah. But from our perspective, if someone, you know, for the only the only games that were ever postponed here was for nine eleven. That was yep. the only time. Is this a event that can be viewed of the same magnitude of that? I, I mean, I disagree entirely with that. I don't think so. So that's how I feel about it, and I feel it's okay. One game week, sure, yeah, all right. Saturday, Sunday, Monday, whatever it is. But to have Arsenal postponed on 
last Premier League match day, to have them postponed for the Europa League matchup, to have them postponed, I think they're post, no, they're playing this weekend. They but, are. like, to have other games that are postponed this Saturday, like, yeah. that is just so much. I was going to say, yeah, they're they're going to play, right? But I'm pretty sure Manchester United's game was postponed. Manchester United's postponed. Right. Liverpool is postponed. Liverpool versus Chelsea is postponed. Yeah, so, so I mean, that's the thing. Even, even... Two two weekends later, essentially, we're still seeing the impact of that, and that's that's what's kind of tough, and that's that's what we're saying is it's it's kind of ridiculous that this would would happen this way. So you know we're not we're not going to beat the dead horse too much. We feel like we've been in it enough. We're in complete agreement here, Lucas. I want to move on to this other story that I I uh, sent you this morning yep. about the France Football Federation. So there are allegations that the uh, that the president of the France Football uh, Federation has uh, sexually abused, you know, other workers within the organization and other people. And this kind of the reason why I wanted to talk about this is because, you know, we have had a lot of issues over the course of the past couple of years with uh, Greenwood, Adam Johnson, as an example, Ferland Mendy, you know, there's not really the the news has done a weird job of covering the the situation going on with Thomas Party as well, but mm-hmm. that's also something that's in process, right? Where there haven't been any arrests made, and to me, I feel like this is a some kind of crazy problem going on where I haven't seen really uh, any of these going on more so than with football and sexual assault allegations. It seems like. There's some, you know, crazy stuff that goes on in other sports, but I don't know what is happening with these players. And I feel like, and even in these presidents, I mean, but I feel like there needs to be different things done to prevent this. People need to be more educated on what they're doing. And I think that harsher punishments need to be doled out by the footballing federations. Yeah, uh, I don't know what more I can say about that, but... It's ridiculous that, one, I haven't even seen this until this morning that you sent it. Like, the media is not talking about this whatsoever. Uh, It's a very corrupt business that you don't want to step on the wrong people's toes. So that's probably why the media isn't uh, reporting any of this. But they have to do a better job. 1,000% have to do a better job of uh, the way that they're reporting out on it, trying to educate like these players and these people like it it's ridiculous it's uh, you have to feel for uh the those who were harassed like you feel so badly for them like it's very disappointing um and like you mentioned with the party situation we don't know everything but the fact that there's been nothing reported out on it in like NBCSN or Sky or uh the Athletic like all we saw was what was on Twitter, and she had the proof, and she had everything, and he's still continuing to play. He's, they're not mentioning anything whatsoever. Um, bringing light to the topic is what needs to happen, so people are more likely to not do it. Also, I, th- I feel like these players and these people need, like, we, like we, live, uh, we work in the corporate world. We have to have... Uh, like a sexual harassment training right when we start our job right do these players have to do that 
do they have like do these managers, uh, especially the owners, the French uh, Federation? Does he have to do it? Like he controls everything. I I doubt it. Like I don't know. It's it's a touchy subject that we we probably don't know the answer to it, but we want to bring it into the light and talk about it. No, I, I I totally agree with everything that you said, and you make a lot of good points about you know whether these players even undergo training of that nature and I I don't feel like they do I think that you know we're going to see more of these cases that are popping up and our reaction is always going to be the same because it's totally different with how it's handled in the corporate world versus the sports world and I think that's why you know when when these incidents happen we look from the outside and we understand what the problem is but these players may not because they feel like they yeah they're either they either think that they're better they have more control or they just simply do not understand the ramifications for this or how other people may feel uh you know maybe there's some kind of social thing going on where they've been focused on football all their lives and they lack the the social development on other aspects of their lives but we'll see what happens i mean i think that's that this is going to be something that always will continue and me and you will always kind of feel the same way about it uh, and which is why we usually don't bring up every single incident that happens is because we both agree that it's totally messed up and it shouldn't be happening in the sport and there needs to be better things that are done, you know? Yeah. Uh, I mean, those are the, those are the things that we're aligned on Lucas. We're aligned on this kind of stuff. We're aligned on how horrible referees are. Uh, uh we can have a whole podcast about VAR and how horrible it is. It's just so subjective now like there's no consistency we didn't talk about the arsenal versus united game but that was very subjective that call again if it was called a foul on the field i feel like arsenal fans wouldn't have a problem with it but since it wasn't called a foul on the field did the ref make a clear and obvious error probably not no probably not like i don't know if that would have changed the game i like you we don't know but there was so many clear like var situations that just are not good and they need to change it like they need some consistency that's all fans want we want consistency we want a game on saturday to have the same decision made on sunday you know i agree with that 100 percent, lucas and i think i think i'm definitely i'm definitely in agreement with you but i wanted to ask you before we go into our bets and this could be the last thing uh, that we talk about. How do you feel about the VAR technology for offsides in the Champions League? Do you like it? I do like it. That's better than what they currently have where they make up the lines. Yeah. So I like it in that aspect. It's like they're fixing a problem that they created to begin with, which, yes, I get it. But also, I... I'm not a fan, and I've seen, like, these, not the, these reports, but, like, these thoughts about VAR with offside. The purpose of offside is so that nobody cherry-picks and nobody just stays by the goal. You know what I mean? It's not, like, about the centimeters. It's not about that. Like, I, I still think this VAR offside technology, it's very smart. I like it. But I think they can develop it into a way that if it's within a let's say uh, an inch parameter or like two inch parameter, like what's, this is two inches right there. 
Like, that's not a big deal. Like, I think that should not impact whether a player is abusing their position to get in a better scoring opportunity. You know what I mean? No, I agree with you. I agree with you 100%. And I I definitely feel like you're right. You know, the whole point, the whole point of the rule, like you said, was to make sure no one was cherry picking. But there's always been this this saying, if uh, if it's close, then the advantage should go to the attacker. I think that people need to kind of change how they view that, right? Because that was in a time where we didn't have video assistant refereeing. And in this case, we do. We have the opportunity to make sure that the call is right. I would prefer that they take an approach very similar to what tennis does, where you don't overturn everything, right? How about allowing the managers to make the decision on whether or not they want something to be reviewed? You know, yep. two or three calls within the course of the game. Each manager can review, you know, have have two calls reviewed. I like that. That's something. And then, and then for every goal, you just check for offsides. And if it's close, then 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 uh, then you still you still go with the actual technology, right? Even if it's an inch offsides, still consider it offsides because in tennis it's very similar to that. And then review any penalties. Any penalty that that is given by the ref is just automatically reviewed. I think these are all simple changes that won't really alter the course of the game. That will leave some opportunity for discussion, but. Uh, they they will get a majority of the calls right more so than what they're doing now. So that's how I feel like they should go. And like it, and, I, yeah. I, I like your suggestion about the coaches' challenges. Yeah, and it doesn't even need to be like for uh, goals. I think the coaches' challenges can be for goals too. Like yeah. not to have like if somebody's off by like a centimeter and a coach sees that they're like off by a lot, then have a coach have a challenge. Yeah. Or, or if it's, it's a goal, automatically review for offsides, right? But if there's like a foul or there's a, there's a challenge and the, the coach wants to review it, right, they can challenge that. Yes. Uh, I think it makes it so much more simple where it's not all on the referees to make the decisions and make all the calls. And it puts some manager's input into it. So I, I feel like that is the way to go. And, you know, I think I just saw refereeing right there. Uh, yeah, I love it. We're solving everything on this podcast, but they won't listen to us. No, they won't. They won't. But the people that do listen to this pod listen to our bets, Lucas. And Dude. it's the time of the pod. Wow. What a transition you just did there. Nick, how did we do this last time around? I feel like we didn't do as well. We went back to uh, our percentage last week or two weeks ago was not the best. No, no. So we went, we went, uh, essentially we went one for four that weekend. So, I mean, we are now 14 of 22, which is not that bad for this season. Uh, I feel like we still, you know, having two bad weekends is not a bad thing, especially if we've been hitting on a lot of these percentages. So I think we're in a good, I don't know. I think we have a good way of getting into it and going on another run again, right? Because it's not really about losing a weekend. It's about getting the, you know, the good value bets, right? And it's also about not losing all your money on betting. So I think that's that's where we're at. I think if we continue, we'll, we'll end up making a decent amount of money this season. I agree. Do you want to start us off? Yeah, man. So I have, uh, I'm looking at Newcastle Bournemouth and I really like this game for Newcastle for a lot of reasons, right? Newcastle has drawn four of their last five games 
and Bournemouth has just won and drawn, and they are not as talented compared to Newcastle. So I feel like in terms of Newcastle, I really like I really like the spread for them at plus one thirty five. They're only they only have to win by two goals to cover, right? They're minus one right now. So I like them for that. I also like the the handicap draw, but I feel like they'll win more than by more than two goals. So I will put Newcastle uh, spread uh, as my first bet. I like that. My first bet: Arsenal coming off a Premier League loss, wanting to bounce back, playing against Brent, Brentford. Yes, they're away, but Arsenal have been in incredible form. I personally think Arsenal would win this, and the odds are very, very juicy for this. Arsenal money line minus one thirty. Yeah, I really like I really like Arsenal here as well, and I was eyeing kind of that bet. Uh, before we go into it further, do you have do you have more than uh, two bets, or do you have? I have three. You have three. Oh, okay. One is a real like a value play. Okay. All right. So I I think that's very interesting for me. I still have to look for my other two. So, Lucas, why don't you give your third? My second one is yeah. my second one. Uh, two teams who are just shockingly at the top of the table. One is Arsenal, who I bet on the money line. Two, Union Berlin is currently at the top of the table of the Bundesliga. And they're actually in great form. They've played very well recently. Uh, and their odds right now at home against Wolfsburg is minus 105. So I like Union Berlin to continue their Bundesliga winning streak. And yeah, I, I think they're going to end up winning this game. Okay. I think that's a pretty good bet. I have, I feel like I have one right now. I just want to confirm by checking the Serie A table just really quickly. Because when I when I make these bets, I always look at form and oh, this is so tough. So I wanted to bet Inter against Udinese at minus one fifteen, mm-hmm. but Udinese has won four in a row, and they are actually ahead of Inter on the table by a point. So this is so tough for me to find a good bet here. Uh, so does that mean you're gonna do Udinese? No, I don't think so, man. I think I'm going to bet Juventus against Monza instead. So Juventus, I mean, Juventus has not had a, a great start. They desperately need a win. Monza is bottom of the table. So Juventus is minus 125 here. So I kind of like that more because they need a win, right? They, I mean, technically they're, they haven't lost a game yet, right? But I just expect them to be able to beat Monza. So so I'll go Juventus minus 125 against AC Monza. Even, even after Juve has been in that bad form? Yeah, I know. But yes. Okay. okay. Hey, hey. Not, I'm not going to get you off it. Don't get My me. last one, and I wanted to take some time to talk about this one. It's a, like I said, it's a value play. But there's a, a trend going on on Twitter right now that everybody is roasting Vinicius Jr., for dancing after he scores goals. Koke went at him. He's like, oh, if, if he dances after he scores, oh, we're going to come after him. We're going to, like, studs up. We're going to destroy him. Like, he's literally retaliating already. Uh, which, one, it's ridiculous. Two, you're supposed to celebrate. You're supposed to score. You're supposed to dance. Like, it's supposed to be fun. And everybody is supporting uh, Vinicius Jr. at the moment, which I really respect. With that... 
Real Madrid, Atletico Madrid, Sunday, the Madrid derby. Vinicius Jr., anytime goal scorer, this storyline is building up for him to score, right? Yeah. Plus 210. That's crazy, really? Yeah, plus 210. Plus 210 to score. Uh, I mean, this is going to be a low-scoring game, in my opinion, as well. Because I hope I was reading it right, but I got it at plus 210. That's nuts. I feel like this is going to be a low-scoring game as well. I was kind of eyeing Atletico Madrid, Real Madrid. Uh, I mean, I think for under two and a half goals, I like them at minus 110, basically even odds. So I don't feel like there's going to be more than three goals in this. So I like I like the under here. Yep. Oh, that's fair. That's fair, 100%. But I, I am reading this correctly. Vinicius Jr., anytime goal scorer, plus 210. Also, I before uh, before I continue to say that, I mean that's going to be my third bet, right? I'm just curious. I want to see their uh, their previous five games against one another because oh, there's some games today, Lucas. Wow, we're blessed. We're blessed. I'll read this. I'll read you the schedule of games today after I look at their past. There okay. is uh, ready. It's five games: one nothing Atletico, two nothing Real Madrid, one one. 2-0 Real Madrid, 1-0 Real Madrid. So over their past five games, neither of them has ended in over three goals. So I really like that bet even more now. So the under 2.5 is the, the way I'm going to go here for Atletico-Real fixture. And, I mean, listen, Vinicius may score. He's had a great start to the season. So He uh, has, especially with Benzema being out still. I agree. I mean, and listen, these are six uh, six bets. If I had to throw another one in there, Lucas, I really like Alexander Isak, anytime goal scorer, and Alexander Mitrovic, anytime goal scorer today against Forrest. So those are two bets I'm just going to throw out there that I also really like. Do you see my facial reaction right now? Because you're thinking about it. No, I already did it. I bet sure. Mitrovic, anytime goal scorer uh, today Okay. 115. Okay. And then I did a two-leg parlay with Alexander Isak and Gabriel Jesus tomorrow. I was also considering Jesus. Uh, Jesus. I mean, yeah, I agree. Wow. Fives are right with us right now, Lucas. Fives are great. All right, so the games today, I'm just going to read them real quick before we go. Uh, Forest plays Fulham. Villa plays Southampton today at 3 p.m. This pod will already be out by then. Valerie... He plays Cadiz. Cadiz has been the worst team in La Liga. They have not won a game at all. Valladolid is 17th, I think, in the table, but they're plus 100 to, to win so far. I don't know if this is this is going to probably end in a draw, in all honesty. Uh, and then we have some Bundesliga games, some Serie A games, and some league on games. So football has started. I feel like we're we're back to you know where we belong. I love watching the other leagues, even last weekend, Lucas. But uh, the Premier League is kind of what makes it hold for me. You know, La Liga, like I love, listen, I love La Liga. I, I am a like Real Madrid fan first and foremost, and I am so well informed with La Liga, but the games aren't the same as the, the Premier League. You can watch uh, like Leicester versus Aston Villa and still be interested in that game, even though they're two bottom half table teams this season because of the players that they have. You can't really say the same thing about Cadiz and Valladolid, right? So, so that's kind of like my point there. And uh, it'll be interesting to see what happens this weekend. All I know is we're back and we're going to be recording again next week. So before we go, is there anything else you'd like to say, Lucas? 
No, we had a great pod this week. Uh, everybody just enjoy them techers because international breaks coming up. We're not going to enjoy them techers as much. Uh, so enjoy club football before the World Cup comes around. We'll catch you guys next week. Hope you guys enjoy the show.